0: Welcome to Amnesty International's comedy podcast series. This year, Amnesty's had exclusive backstage access at two of the biggest events on the comedy calendar, the 2014 Edinburgh Festival Fringe and the Balham Comedy Festival in London. We'll be bringing you a series of interviews with some of the greatest stand-up comedians working today, and along with finding out about the business of laughter, we'll be chatting about life, politics and human rights. On today's episode, we're joined by comedian and Radio 4 regular, Jeremy Hardy. He talks about Twitter, politics and the lies that his grandmother told him.
1: Welcome, Jeremy Hardy. Thanks so much for speaking to Amnesty International at the Ballam Comedy Festival. And I just heard that you had your first ever show at Ballam. Is that right?
2: Yes, my first circuit gig. My first open spot on the circuit was 30 years ago in January this year. Wow in the big room downstairs wow.
1: and why yeah. is it a special place for comedians to come to do you well, think? it was
2: it's been going a while now it was started by paul merton and a friend of his called andy Waring in 1983 and uh, it's been going ever since and um i don't do many gigs here but i do the ballon comedy festival because i'm local so i haven't got far to come from streatham
1: and you recently played at glastonbury is that right yes and yeah. then you're going to be at latitude i'll be at
2: latitude
1: and how how's how is it being a festival kind of compared to other venues like here or even other festivals <clears throat> well, like edinburgh
2: slightly different well i don't do edinburgh because it's basically become a trade fair so i'll go to edinburgh in the autumn when it's all when everyone's left and do a gig then but um, festivals all got their own character and their own dynamic and then you go on at weird times of day in a tent in daylight you know and so they, they can be quite strange and sometimes you only want they only want half an hour and sometimes they want 40 minutes and sometimes they want an hour and then um, this is an hour this one because normally my shows are two hours long so my audience is normally completely exhausted by the time I've finished I've completely broken them whereas these people just got an hour so they're quite fresh and then they can can go and watch Kevin Day now that I've finished.
1: And was it a good experience in Glastonbury?
2: It was, it was good this year, yeah. Some years it's a bit rocky because you never quite know because you know, people are bimbling around, and if it rains, a lot of people just suddenly run into the tent for, to, to dry off and they're not really listening. And then it depends what's going on in the other stages if some huge racket starts up. But know that I think I've found my crowd now at Glastonbury, they sort of know that I'm there. And then there's a few newcomers who I hopefully recruit. To be, to be, uh, my, my to dwindling, followers. dwindling band of, of loyal followers,
1: and you are super active on Twitter. Um, Am I? Well, from what I've been reading, oh, okay. yes. Oh, okay. And um, but would you say social media has changed your routine much at all, or is it giving you extra In terms material? Of
2: what I do on step. Well, it's another, it's another reference point, I suppose. News, you, people are, are, are more. Are better informed partly because of rolling news and partly because of social media so like yeah, things are on twitter before they're actually on the news mm-hmm. you know so uh you know the headlines are sort of made on twitter um and then there are different dynamics i mean uh, uh, you get these sort of twitter campaigns and twitter outrage and and it's just it's another means by which uh, it's a sort of bush telegraph where things spread very quickly so you know the dynamics of how people feel about things are quite you know uh, are much more rapid now. You know you get a sense of what, what the feeling about something is quite rapid. And you get a sense of a public opinion really by because of things like Twitter, Facebook. I don't do because it's mostly people talking about how clever their children are. But <laughs> um, but yeah no, it's interesting in that way. Twitter. I mean I suppose it it can be a bit disposable because people think oh I've retweeted that petition. I've done my bit now. I've done my politics for the for the day. But, um, but, you know, it, it means that uh, the word is spreading very quickly and uh, if someone says something loathsome on the news then people are immediately responding to it very quickly. And so it is, it is quite... Um, it speeded things up, mm. you know. I'd say you obviously don't hold back on your political comedy
1: at all. And um, your show, you know, this evening was completely bursting with topical issues. Um, when you started out in comedy, did you purposefully think, oh, I'm going to use my routines to raise awareness, you know, like <clears throat> this week's events in
2: Gaza, or has that just evolved um, over time? That evolved over time. Initially, I thought I wasn't that, that political, uh, but I think it was at a time when I felt Thatcherism was so rampant in 1984, 85, and I just felt like, you know, the left was collapsing and, and the miners lost, and you just felt like... Almost a responsibility because you've got a platform. It might be a bit vainglorious, but you think, "Well, I'm actually on stage and people mm-hmm. are listening." And I actually felt like I should make an effort to say things. The trouble is how you make things entertaining. I mean, if we just make a speech, then it's not entertaining, or it can be entertaining, but it's not humour. So, I mean, to be honest, I found the whole Gaza situation so upsetting. I'm kind of at a loss to say anything about it other than reference here, but. Um, you know and you, uh, the danger is that you actually diminish the thing by reducing it to a to mm. a one-liner that in a way you're you're almost dishonoring the horror of something by um you know by by just sort of trying to turn it into a quip so it's, it's a tricky one that but um yeah i mean those things do motivate me
1: yeah and would you say that's one of the things
2: you enjoy most about your job um yeah, I suppose it's satisfying to get across an idea to to have, you know, and people say oh, you're preaching to the converted, everyone agrees with you, you think, well, that's fine. And I hope that they do. I mean, I'd, I'd be mortified if I thought that nobody else agreed with me. I'm not out there on a mission to convert. I'd, I prefer to think that I'm rallying the troops, you know, that people, I'm cheering people up and that, and that they're feeling, well, that's good. Somebody's on stage saying what I think. But if I, you know, I mean, I think it's unlikely that I would change someone's mind through jokes, but... I suppose you just add to the general culture of, um, mm-hmm. of, of of you know what I hope are progressive and enlightened ideas you you, you know you add to that climate that atmosphere
1: because yeah. you just mentioned in your show that you're slightly less political than you used to be because of that worry of you know can you actually change anything? does it change anything but yeah I'm not do you as, really believe I'm that
2: not as active as I used to be, probably because you do just get demoralised, you know, I should be doing more, you know, but I sort of think, oh, you yeah, well, let the young people do it. I mean, I do do stuff, and I do lots of benefits, and I go on demonstrations mm-hmm. and stuff, but there is that danger that you sort of think, well, maybe I should be looking at my own happiness, you know, I haven't got that much longer to live. I'm in the back half now, I'm 53. Maybe I should just be thinking about my future and worrying about, well, how I'm going to live when I'm old. So there is that danger that you that you, uh, and as I say, you can't just think that because you've retweeted something on Twitter that that's a, that's a serious political act, you know, that's just exchanging information. But, but uh, I think it is a danger that you feel, you know, you feel powerless, you feel like, you know, I've, I've been around a long time, things don't seem to have got any better, you know. And that's, you know, a lot of people get less active.
1: Which comedians from the circuit at the moment would you say you really like or respect?
2: Oh, there's loads of great comics out there. I mean, Mark Steele's brilliant. Daniel Kitson's brilliant. Jen Brister, Francesca Martinez, Elliot Steele, who's Mark Steele's 17 year old son, who's wow. a brilliant comic in his own right. Um, there's loads of people. Shabby Korsandi's great. There's, there's um, you know, Josie Long and and, and people of my, my lot like, you know, Kevin Day and Mark Thomas and Joe Brand. And it's just one or two. There's there's tons of great people out there. And, you know, somebody like Jack D, I think, is a very, is a, good friend and a very funny comic he might not be political particularly but he's a he's a great comic because I mean I am I am a comic and I like good comedy and if I go out to watch something sometimes I just want to laugh and not think about the horrors of the world
1: so just on the horrors of the world um the conservatives have talked about scrapping the human rights act yeah. um I imagine you've got some strong opinions about that
2: well, somehow the Conservatives have managed to convince everybody that the, the Human Rights Act is something foisted upon us by, by the European Union. Whereas, of course, it all comes from the Second World War, you know, the idea that human rights must be enshrined in law. So that something like the Holocaust, uh, facile though it sounds, needs, it needs to be made clear that, that deliberate and massive, massive atrocities against civilian populations are not acceptable and um, then that, that maybe we could get states to follow international law and that and and in this country of course we don't even have a written constitution we don't even have a bill of rights so it's very important that people can't just be abducted in the middle of the night and have a bag put on their head and flown to a uh, to torture center you know uh on diego garcia it's important that um that we have these rights mm. and people think oh it's all to do with criminals mm. getting away with it or the police having to deliver pizzas to prisons or something and all and it's, and it's none of that stuff you know it's 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 about you know human beings having having rights enshrined in law and, and states being badgered into into having these right. and you know and and modern states like britain and america are actually you know rolling forward the repression uh, of the you know of the state against the population in terms of surveillance, um, you know in terms of the massive spying operations and anybody who blows a whistle about that you know, is 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 in trouble. So I think it's more important than ever, you know, because everyone assumes oh well we, our politicians are all sleek and young and nice and mm-hmm. you know we don't have to worry about we don't have to worry about tyranny. But you have to always worry about tyranny, even if your society appears to be a very benign and civilized and modern one
1: if you were in power for one day, have you got any laws you would change, or appeal,
2: or impose? Oh, I if I were in power for a day, I would immediately bring in a massively complex Bill of Rights to stop me from doing the things that I would do if I were in power. Because I think that's the thing about power, it needs to be restrained. Because, because there's all things that we would do if we had power, but that doesn't mean that we should do those things. You know, I'm quite a vengeful person, I would, I, I'd be like Strelnikov in Dr Zhivago. All sorts of people would be, would be jailed if I were in power. And that of course isn't, uh, isn't how things should be, so I, I, I would seek to have as little political power as possible, but I would renationalise the railways.
1: The lovely railways. <laughs> and Amnesty International has just launched a global stop torture campaign. We've had reports of torture in 141 countries, two thirds of all countries in the world. Does it surprise you that it's so prevalent?
2: Well, when you think that this country is implicated in torture, it's not surprising at all that basically you know, MI6 have interviewed people who've been tortured by the Americans or their proxies. I mean, we, it's no surprise at all. Israel practices torture and uh, is part of the Western Alliance and uh, is in the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just considered rendition or heightened interrogation now. Um, so, no, I'm not at all surprised.
1: Because around a third of people said that they thought torture was justified in certain situations. This is on a survey, Amnesty did. Well, there's
2: obviously, there's obviously, I mean, the war on terror has sort of played a blinder in making people think that we are under constant threat, despite the fact that, you know our society is much safer than it used to be in victorian london you couldn't walk around oxford street at night you'd be murdered you'd be you'd be attacked and rich people had sword sticks so that they could stab muggers you know i mean the idea that we live in this terrifying world and and there are all these terrorists who are going to blow us up on but very few people are terrorists it's quite an unpopular hobby and <laughs> and but but of course it's useful for for the state for us all to be terrified and so the state can protect us from all these unknown lurking dangers out there and so people think well you know if it gets useful information and there are misleading films you know like the suggestion that Osama bin Laden was caught because of torture That's not true torture is a very unreliable way of extracting information if you torture someone they will tell you whatever stops you from torturing them it is a it is an utterly useless way of getting information out of people there are far more benign humane methods of interrogation which are much more effective
1: and then on a much lighter note we were just wondering could you tell us what your favorite
2: story from grandma was my favorite story from my grandma (laughs) my grandma was my grandma becky my mother's mother was a liar she made up every, she told us that we were descended from Sir Christopher Wren, which is entirely possible, but apparently only because he used to shag all his workmen 's wives while they were working for him, so most people in the country are descended from him She, she told us that um, her grandfather was, was a Welsh coal miner because his name was Jones and therefore he must have been Welsh and therefore he must have been a coal miner. She told us that her other grandfather uh, her father was was a, a close confidant of of the king and a royal protection officer <laughs> because he, he, did, uh, he was a copper on duty in, in Westminster and they would have had to do royal protection during sort of parades and, and things like that. Wow. She also told <laughs> us that uh, she had a grandfather who had a huge estate in, in Kent from which he was, he was tricked out of this estate. Basically the subplot of Bleak House. She convinced <laughs> us that, this, that we were descended from this aristocrat in Kent. And uh, tracing him through family history, it turns out he was a dredgerman on the Isle of Sheppey who made a living getting dead bodies out of the river and being, and being given uh, money for... D- and, and catching a few oysters. You're all a bit disappointed by that. Yes, so mm-hmm. my, my ancestry a is incredibly, less incredibly lacklustre. Oh, well,
1: thank you so much. Thank you for having um, me. Yeah, that's been lovely. Thank you, Jeremy.
2: Thanks a lot.
0: If you're interested in learning more about human rights, or joining Amnesty International, then please go to our website, amnesty.org.uk, and make sure you don't miss our next episode. Here's a sneak peek.
2: It's great as a comic when you enjoy doing a routine, rather than just sort of feel like you're going through it. I still have moments in it where I'll just chuck in a couple of extra bits that I didn't even necessarily know that I'd thought of at the time, but they just come to my head because i think you you spend years trying to find your voice and then and then when you
0: do don't be afraid to use it